0: All right, good morning. Good to, good to have you guys all this morning. As Brent said this morning, too, we're super grateful that you came and chose to worship with us this morning. Um, we, we count that an honor and a privilege uh, to, to have you here this morning with us. We understand that there's other great churches here in town, and uh, but if you're looking for a church home and you're new here, we certainly hope you might find one here. But if you shouldn't happen to find one here, It's our heart that you find a church home here in Sheridan and serve within the local church body, because I would remind us that we, this morning, are part of the greater church body of Sheridan that is meeting also this morning, right? And the church body of Sheridan is, is part of a greater church body that's meeting within the state, which is part of a greater church body which is meeting within our nation, which is part of a greater church body that is meeting on a global basis, Right? God's people are the church. Churches are not buildings nor sermons. It is God's people. And so you brought church with you this morning when you came in here, and we're certainly grateful for that. Um, Had a really great time uh, up at uh, men's backpacking trip. I'm sure Chance would love to show you pictures of his 20-pound lake trout he caught uh, at Lake Geneva. So if you want to talk to Chance about that, I'm sure he's, he's, he's probably just... It's ready. He'll show you. He'll show you. 30 pounds. 30 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's happening. It was, it was 15 earlier, I would have to say, too. It was a big fish. Let's just say it was a big fish. So anyway, um, remember, too, this morning we are heading on in Mark. We're in, we're, we've been uh, preaching through the book of Mark since January. We're in chapter 8. Today we'll be in verses 31 through 38, so if you want to turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab a Bible from the chair in front of you, um, we are going to get started. Now remember how this works, okay? So this is, this is, there's a lot in these seven verses. There's a lot. There's more than I'm going to be able to actually even deal with, but remember how this works. God steps on my toes, and then I step on your toes, okay? That's just how it works with this deal, right? I, I, I try to get with God during the week. He steps all over my toes about this kind of stuff, and my job is to come and then step on your toes about it, too. So, so here we go. Uh, let's just look this over, starting in uh, verse 31. Now remember, too, let's get a little bit of context here. Um, Jesus has uh, basically he's been healing people, throngs of people following him. Just his ministry is blowing up all over the place. There are, there are literally thousands of people that are following him. He's doing miraculous deeds time after time. He's healing people, and, um, and, and, and he's just going through these different villages. And now, as we talked about last week, he, uh, he basically begins to pose the question, who do, who do people say that I am? Who does the world say that I am? And, and then ultimately makes it very personal and says, but who do you say that I am? Who does the world say that I am? You know, and we talked about that last week. For the disciples, they said, Well, you know, some say you're Elijah or one of the prophets raised or John the Baptist. And <clears throat> Jesus said, Well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, Well, you're, you know, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And, and, and so we, we we looked at that and talked about that. And, and so Jesus has now basically shown them who he is. He's He's identified Himself through His works, through His miracles, through all that's going on. And now He begins to He's going to begin to tell them why he's come. He's he's told them and showed them who he is, and now he's going to begin to reveal to them his mission. Verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So Jesus basically makes no uh, no bones about it. He begins to reveal to them that his mission is actually that he has come to die and, and this is this is a massive um, struggle for them to, to bring in because remember many of them and, and very you know peter they're expecting that this Messiah is going to come and that he's going to lead them in a revolt against the roman people he's going to purge Israel of the the Romans and and, and set them back into their place. Many of the Jews, even today, have taken a lot of Jesus's uh, prophetic words in the Bible about his second coming and had applied it to his first coming. So Jesus, when he says this, he, he says, the son of man. He begins this with this title, the son of man must suffer many things. And so the Son of Man is a title that comes out of the book of Daniel, and it's generally how Jesus referred to himself as he was going about and he was teaching and doing these different things. We see this in Daniel chapter 7. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is coming and he's telling them that I've come to be rejected, killed, and raised in three days. And they've been reading this, and they're like, no, wait a minute, Peter, it says that he goes on, it says here in, in verse uh, 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine that. Imagine that, and we, I mean, I don't think we have to actually imagine very hard, but Peter begins to go back, and he's like, no, that's not what's going to happen, Jesus, it's not going that way. It's not going to happen like that. As a matter of fact, here's how it's going to go. You're going to, you're going to win, right? And you're going to start us in this whole thing. And he begins to tell Jesus, no, this is not how it's going to go. You know, the reality of it is, is that we have no idea about how God is going to do things. I don't know how many times I'm amazed at how he operates versus how I think he ought to operate. And this is a big struggle with us. We we begin to think that Jesus should, should operate in these ways that make sense to us or these ways that we've taken some scripture or the way that we've held on to some scripture at times. And we begin to, to wrestle with Jesus and be like, hey, no, no, it can't go that way. It's got to go this other way. It, it can't happen that way. But you see, God, it, he reminds us that his ways are higher than our ways, Right? Isaiah 55, I want want to just read this really quick to you. It says this. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God reminds us that he's operating in a world when we're, when we're spending time and we're arguing and we're trying to advise God, we have to remember that God's ways are higher than our ways. What he's doing is, is grander than what we can imagine or see. Like we've talked about many times, we, we're looking at this life and we're seeing it as though we're looking at the back of a tapestry and it's just all a mess. All of these strings going and one day he's gonna reveal, he's gonna turn that around, and he's gonna show us the beauty of what he's woven together, and we'll see even how our strings have have been woven through that tapestry and how it's affected and it's it's affect the whole of the big picture. But for now we're in this spot and we're we're struggling, but I want to I want to back up to the to the beginning of, of chapter first fifty-five in Isaiah. And listen, it's the gospel, and it says this. It says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall be a nation, and you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So Jesus, so, so Peter is, is arguing, he's, he's, he's advising Jesus, he's, he's telling Jesus where, where he's missed the mark and 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 how this is actually going to go and Jesus does this it says he says but turning and seeing his disciples he rebuked Peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but the things of man when it says that he turned it means it's a term that's similar to the one for repentance, but it, it's a turning away from something that's immoral. It, it, it's a turning away from an immoral action or thought or idea. And 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 so Jesus turns his back on Peter and and faces up to his disciples and 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 he basically says, Get behind me, Satan. What a thing after after Peter who has just been told by Jesus, wow, you got it right. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You got it. You understand that I'm the Christ. And now he's saying, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're seeking your things. You're seeking your comfort. You're seeking how you think it should go in the end. See, there are there are ways of thinking for us. There are, there are ways that are in alignment with the things of God and there are, there are ways that are in alignment with us and how we think it should go. And when we tend to be a people who seek a pleasure and comfort and well-being and ease. Even think about us as Christians, we begin to talk about things like if it's the Lord's will, all the doors open. Right? That's easy, right? It, it must be God's will because every door opened before me. Well, that would say then that, that God never presents us with any challenges or any difficulties at times, right? Maybe there are times where we're told like we're told, just keep to knocking on that door, right? I need some bread. I got somebody over here. It's midnight, right? I need bread. I need bread. All right, here, have some bread. Sometimes we, we as Christians, we begin to, we, we, we buy into the idea that, that easy is good. And there's so often God is beginning to tell us no hard is good, Sometimes we need to embrace the hard because it's in the hard where we're changed. It's in the hard where God begins to form our character. It's where he begins to forge in us something that wasn't there before. And so Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And then it says he in verse 34 that he begins to call the crowd to him, with his disciples. So now he begins to teach everybody. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So he kind of gives us step one, two, and three. And the first step here is to deny yourself. To deny yourself. Now, what does that look like? I think that that begins to look like, like. It just begins to look like Jesus, right? He's, he's laying out this roadmap for for how do we follow him and what does that look like, and and the first step in this process is is to deny yourself. Well, why is that? Because because we have, we have a couple of different ways of thinking. We have ways that man thinks, and then we have ways that men think. And I guess that's Fritz, huh? One second, he says. I'll read it to you. It's Galatians 5.17. And it says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. It's an interesting thing. There's a battle not just around us. There's not just a battle over us and around us, but there is a battle within us for what we want and how we think things should go. And it's interesting that this would end by telling us to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Because if we get real and we start to really look at some of our own desires and where we're at and how we think and what we think life is about, we'd have to start to understand that There's a reality that there's some things that I might think I like that would never bless me, things that I think would be good that won't bless me or my family or the church or my community. And, and, and so there's a necessity for us to, to be a kingdom-minded kind of people, to be a, a kind of a people who are led by the Spirit and not our flesh. So that starts with beginning to deny yourself. It, it, it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking about yourself less, right? It, it means beginning to put other people in front of you. It means beginning to take and put God's kingdom and his purposes at the forefront of our lives. Whatever we find ourselves doing to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and allow him to add all things then to us that everything takes its right place under our seeking his kingdom and his purposes in our lives. So wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, wherever we go, we should be walking in this. We should be recognizing that, 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 that this isn't about me. It, it's not about me and it's, it's not about you. It's about God and what God is doing in this world. It's about his greater purposes. It's about these thoughts that he has and these ways that he has that are higher than our ways and higher than our thoughts. It's about recognizing that we're talking about a God who is infinitely capable of working through our series of circumstances and our lives and our struggles and our suffering and our pain and all of this stuff and bringing it into something that's beautiful. deny yourself, it says. See, Jesus had to deal with this, right? When people were mocking him as he sat on the cross, as he he was on the cross dying for you and me, and people are telling him, why don't you just come down off of that cross? Just come down off of that cross. If you're who you say you are, why don't you save yourself, right? The parable of the talents, if you think this, think of this, there's There's this this picture where there's this master and he gives talents to his servants and one gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. The one who has five goes and invests those and gets five more. And one that has two does the same and gets two more. And the one that has one goes and buries his, right? And the master comes back and the one that had five, he said, here's your five and five more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. One that had two you gave me two. Here's two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wasn't about the numbers, right? The one though, the one that had went and buried what he had, sees the problem with what he said. He said, you wicked servant. You should have at least put it in an account where it would bear interest or something. But what you did is you did this. You went and made sure you were okay. Because that was his answer is, hey, I just, I knew you'd be a rough guy and and I want to just make sure I didn't lose this or anything. Here you go. It's all good. And and that's an attitude of self-preservation that is offensive to God. It's this idea that I'll just make sure I'm okay. I'll just make sure that I've got it all okay. I'll make sure that by the parameters of the fence and the little house that I live in or whatever, that I'm okay within there. And I won't really worry about those who are outside of that sphere. But this isn't what we're called to as as Christians. So so step one is self-denial. Dying to self is one of those things that's gonna precede following Jesus. Step two, Jesus tells us this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. He would take up his cross so we talk about that a lot in our culture. We hear that a lot. We hear people have a struggle, they'll have something deep, something that's painful, something that's hard and they'll say, oh, "It's just my cross to bear." Right? "It's my cross to bear." And I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to just, you know, shoot that down, but you see God hasn't called us to carry these burdens in our lives. As a matter of fact, something very different from that. He's in Matthew 11 he says this, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So sometimes that idea, this idea of, of take up your cross isn't just this idea that I'm gonna bear my own burdens in this life. I'm just gonna stack them up and I'm just gonna heap them I'm gonna just walk through this. It's just my cross to bear. no. Jesus has come to bear our burdens. He's the burden bearer. He, he's the one who has, who has come to, to give himself on that behalf. And so, so we're to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us, right? So what does this mean, to take up your cross? You know, a cross is a really trendy thing today, right? When we look at the cross, we look at it from the other side of the cross and, and we see it as a symbol of 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 sacrifice, of love, of hope, um, of sacrifice. But, but really, to pick up your cross means to be on your way to your death. I mean, a, a, a person who was going to be crucified as they took up their cross and began to carry that, they're, they're going ultimately to their death. This, this is where they're headed. This is the trajectory of their lives, is that they're going and they're going to die. And in reality, you see, that's the reality of all of us in here, too, is that, is that in our lives right now, we're, we're, we're all born to die in this world, right? And that should begin to fundamentally shape and change the way that we live our lives. And so as we take up this cross, we need to understand it a little bit. You see, for them, it would have been a totally different description, to the, to the disciples, when Jesus said, take up your cross, I mean, that's the instrument of death. It, it, it's the, it, to be honest, in, in Roman times, to say to somebody, why don't you go get crucified, would be the same as telling them to go to hell. Go get crucified. And, and the whole thing about the cross was that it was a symbol of shame. It was about disgrace. It was intended to utterly... Disgrace a human being prior to killing them. Maybe an analogy or a thought that we could get more of an idea, wrap our heads about, what it would mean to them would be if I said this, go get your hypodermic needle full of a lethal injection dose and come and follow me. Or, Or go and take up your electric chair and come and follow me. Or go take up your noose and come and follow me. See, see, this, was, this idea of the cross wasn't the same, and it was, it was an offense. It was actually even later in the church, before the church, a little bit, before they started to actually really even embrace the symbol of the cross, because what it meant, because what it meant in that culture and in that time... 1 Corinthians one twenty three says, we preach, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It was foolishness to everyone around there, the idea of the cross. And so Jesus tells them to take up your cross, and Luke adds this to it. He says, daily. Take up your cross daily and die to yourself. Take up the instrument of, self, of, of death and die to yourself daily. Deny yourself And then die to self. And do that every day. Why? Because there is an old man that lives inside of you and me. It's an old, sinful nature. And that sinful nature will do anything to sit on the throne of your heart. It will even emulate a spiritual person to sit on the throne of your heart and to rule and to reign. See, this is the core struggle of humanity, is to live our lives apart from God, to be God ultimately, really, to to not deny ourselves, to, to actually indulge ourselves, to not die to ourselves, but try to live forever on our own. And so Jesus, he comes and he says, take up the cross, and then the last part is to follow me, to follow me, not to just say a prayer once and say everything's good but to truly become a disciple of Christ, to to begin to follow him. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Can't.
1: Cannot do it.
0: Unless we're taking these steps, unless we're really beginning to live this out and not just talking about coming to church on Sunday or reading our Bibles a little bit in the morning, but truly taking up our cross and dying to ourselves and becoming followers of Christ, recognizing that there's a mindset that the world has that is in contradiction to the mindset that I have and the world around me. It's in contradiction to to what God has for us. And and so there's this battle that's going on inside of you and I. And the big big question is, is, is what are we feeding? Are we feeding our flesh, or are we feeding our spirit? Galatians 6.14 but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's the the way out of this thing? The way out of this thing is by taking up our cross and recognizing that through the cross, this is the place that I am crucified to the world and the world to me. It's the place where I become a new creation. It's the place where I begin to look at life from a completely different perspective. See, God's word is always challenging us to see life from a different place. As a matter of fact, as we talk about even this whole concept of death, God is actually talking to us about life. He's talking to us not about death, but he's saying if death became your tutor, and if it's a reality for each and every one of us, then that should be drastically change the way that we live our lives. It's, it's the whole meaning behind the book of Ecclesiastes is that death becomes a tutor that teaches us how to live. In light of these things, how should I then let, live my life? If, if this is temporal and that's eternal, then what has more significance? What has more meaning? What should my focus be on? Should it be in here or should it be in what's to come? Should I invest into the economy of this world or should I invest into a kingdom economy? Should I live with a worldly mindset or a kingdom mindset? Whatever we do and wherever we go. See, but our problem, my problem, is that I'm selfish. And that's all about this, right? It's about just making sure I'm okay and having more and getting more. And it's this insatiable thing that people are caught up in. And as we get caught up in this, it, it, we're trying to fill these things in this place. And, this, and it just won't ever do it. Just like Ben said this morning, it'll never do it. It's only Jesus that can fill this place in us and really change our lives. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, uh, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? I jumped ahead a little bit, but before that it said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, this is a backwards kingdom. Do you want to live? It says you got to die, right? That doesn't make sense to us, right? You want to be first, you got to be the last. You want to receive, you have to give. Uh, You want to be the greatest, you have to be the servant of all, right? And we're like, wow. It doesn't make sense, right? And then so we try to live into this, but we try to live into it into it through a worldly mindset and we say, Okay, Jesus, I'm gonna really go out there, I'm gonna be a servant, which is and then that's all fine and good till somebody treats us like a servant, right? And then we're mad, you know, or done, out of here. Just treated me like a servant. Um It's a backwards kingdom. And there are two economies in this world. I mean, I mean there's, there's actually one economy to this world, and then there's God's economy. There's a lower and a higher economy. Just as the book of Ecclesiastes talks about, about futility under the sun, it has the idea, the inference that there's, there's meaning and purpose above the sun. There's a higher calling in our lives. There's, there, there's, a, there's, there's more to this thing. There's two economies and see if, if you invest into the economy of this world and you live for the things of this world, then you'll reap out of that economy. It's the place where where you'll get what you've invested into. But if see, if we if we push through and we push through the economy of this world and we believe and trust and know that there's a higher economy, that there's a higher calling in our lives, then that's the place where God's blessing flows. It's in that economy. And God calls us to live into that economy to become kingdom-minded people, to be givers and not takers, to be generous and not selfish and on so many levels too, not just our money but our time, our talents, the, the gifts that God has given us. See, the gifts that God has given you and me don't belong to us. They belong to the church if you're a part of the church. The giftings of the Spirit belong to the church, and they're, they're meant to be used in the church so that the church reaches the fullness of what it's called to be. 2 Corinthians 9 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. See, again, this is in contradiction to the way that I think because I think this. I think the more that I give, the less I have. I start to have a lose economy in my mind. If I give, then I have less. But that's not God's economy. God says, if you give, I'll actually increase that. I'll actually, if you'll sow into my economy, you'll actually reap bountifully. But if you just sow into the economy of this world, you'll reap sparingly. And you know, the interesting thing about this is that the world is full of really good people, and I'm serious about that. I mean just good people, there's a lot of really good people, and they're not hurting anybody and they're living their lives and they're, you know they're, every once in a while they, they help out with this or that, but in reality, the focus of their life is this it's about getting more stuff it's about taking more vacations it's about building bigger houses and driving nicer cars and then it's the focus of everything that, that that is going on there and, and that's that's a mindset that's not a kingdom mindset. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me saying that, that there's something wrong with a nice car or a nice home or anything. I'm not saying that. But you see, if that's our pursuit, if that's our thought, if that's everything about where we're going, then your, your mindset is just not a kingdom mindset. It's, it's a worldly mindset. And the reality and what Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, is reminding us is that we are leaving this world. And when we leave this world, we'll leave everything behind but there is a way and there is an economy to begin to to send blessings up into a place where no rust will ever touch it, no thief can steal it, right? I don't have to sit like this worrying that I'm going to lose it somehow to rust or moths or thieves. It's safe, right? And it's secure. And and so this is the thing that we we have to really wrestle with, See, it's not about our death. It's about how we live. And this is what God is calling us to, is how are you living your life? Goes on and finished by saying, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. So we win this thing. By losing. It's a crazy thing. What else do you win by losing? This game, you win by losing. You see, Jesus' death on the resurre- or death on the cross by all outwards appearances was absolute, it was lose. Right? Just lost. Imagine what was going through the disciples' heads at that point. You know, no, we we thought it was all gonna go this other way. But through his higher ways and his higher thoughts, right, his death becomes life to all of us. You see, God is always turning the tables. He's always working out what, ought, what, what seems backwards to us. He, oops. Hebrews twelve two. I fritzed it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love to be reminded of this. It says that, see, Jesus, he made it not about him, that that the shame of the cross He despised it. And why did he despise it? It says that he despised it for the joy that was set before him. And you think, what joy could be set before somebody on the cross? But it's you. You're the joy that was set before him on the cross. Jesus came and he filled the suffering of this world with his love and his presence. And his people as his people we're called to do the same. We're called to be a peculiar people, a people who do life differently, where it looks different, where people start to go, there's something different about you. One of the big things about the church that's, that's crippling the church and its effectiveness in the world around us is that we look too much like the world. We're doing things like the world does them. We're doing them off of the advice of the world, how we live, what we live for, how we do relationships, how we, uh, how we interact in the world. around All of these things, we're doing it too much like the world, our marriages, our parenting. All of these things should, should look very different to a believer. How we live our lives should challenge the people out there to say, what is with you? Why do you do that? and then we can be quick with a word of hope that tells them ah you got to know something there's a higher thing to live for there's greater plans and purposes and until you know your identity and who you are and who this God is who's called you and what he's called you for until we begin to get a greater vision of this then we'll continue to subject ourselves to the same worldly economy and we'll get the same results that we've been getting Lord, we just thank you that, uh, that you give us a way that's, that's higher. You, your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. Lord, may we just not even try to sometimes understand them, but may we just live in the trust that you've called us to. May we just trust you more and more. And, and even sometimes the more bizarre and the more peculiar it gets, Lord, may we just know and trust that, that you're at work and that you're doing something and, and you're doing things in ways that may not make sense to us but that, God, that you are working out salvation, you're working out love, you're working out hope in the world around us. Help us, Lord, to, to live in a manner that would reflect that we believe that, that we believe that, that this isn't it, that this temporal realm, this temporal world isn't just all that there is, but there, there's more. So help us, God, to, to live into that higher economy. Help us to invest our time, our treasure, our talents into that higher economy. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, and allow you to add whatever you want to add to our lives. Lord, may we just open our hands, Lord. May we not be tight-fisted, a tight-fisted people, but may we just open our hands, Lord, and just trust you with all that you've given us. May we just let go and trust and know that, that God, that you are calling us. May we walk in accordance to your spirit and in accordance to your ways. May we recognize and know that if we wanna live our lives, that we have to die to the life that, that we would create that we would have but in so doing that we find the the purpose and the meaning that you always intended for us help us that we might be a people who who remember to walk just every day with you that you've called us to just walk step by step by step in this world with you never apart from you never on our own never solo never carrying the burdens but allowing you lord to do that but help us lord to to, to just fight back, to push back against this battle that rages inside of us. Lord, this, this place where we're pulled towards being selfish and making it about us. Help us, Lord, to live like it's our last day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.